0: So we moved here a while back. Most of you know us our story. We moved here about a year ago, um, a few last month, last year, August 2018. Um, And so we're here just to see what God has for us and to plant a church, hopefully someday. And that's part of why you see that in the bulletin every week as a church planting resident. So I just want to introduce myself for that. Um, We've been going through Genesis. If you've been with us this summer, um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we started back in June, and we've been slowly going through this, and we're ending it today. The curtains are going to close on this chapter, and it doesn't quite end the way that you might think it would end. But before I—I want to stop, and I want to pray for myself today. I want to pray for us as we read the Scripture, but we're going to address some tough questions today, I think. And I pray that God would, at the end of this sermon today, that God would allow us to find worship, even in these tough moments and these tough chapters, that we can read this scripture and other scriptures like this as we go through the Bible and find a place that we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm going to pray because we're going to need God to do that. Father, um, I just come before you this morning. God, humbly just asking you to steady my heart. God, that you would speak through me, that you would remove, uh, Father, any distractions in my mind or the distractions of... Anyone's mind who came in this morning, Father, let us see you in the cross. Let us know that you reign, that you've redeemed, that you've forgiven. And Father, even in these tough scriptures that that are really just hard things to to hear or to handle at moments, that Father, you would just do a work in our hearts and our minds. Father, help us to see you. God, help us to read this narrative and, and to find ourselves in this passage. But ultimately, God, help us to see who you've called us to be, that you have renamed us, that you've made us a new creation, that you are God and glorious, and you have a plan and a purpose, and you've called us to arise and to go. And so, Father, I just pray that you would speak through us this morning, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Uh, so before I begin, so we just read chapter 35, a little brief passage out of there. And when we talked about Jacob, talked about Pastor Jacob talked about Jacob last week, fearing. And that's in chapter 34 in this narrative, fear has already re-crept back into Jacob's life. He'd battled it, he had wrestled it, he'd wrestled with God, he'd wrestled with fear of Esau coming to to kill him. And throughout Genesis, since we've begun reading this, I think something that we need to address today, though there's a couple questions I have for us. One is, as before we read this, have you ever forgotten who you are, or who you were, or where you came from? And I know we're all different ages in here, and so sometimes maybe later on in life, I'm at the age of 41, so I have a little more reflective time than I did at 20. But Christ has called me, and he's he's changed me, And so this question today to you, I don't know when you came to Christ or when you started walking with Jesus or when you were redeemed, but but there's a question on the table today. Have you forgotten who you once were? Because I think it's very important, and I hope to show you that this morning. Second question, have you ever forgotten who you are now? If you've become a believer in Christ Jesus, do you ever forget who you are, who he's called you to be, what the scriptures say about you, what God says about you, that you are created in his image do you forget these things? I do. Number three, do you forget who God is and his faithful promises? Guilty. And I struggle with that every day sometimes, remembering what God has done. So I hope to point that out in this passage. And fourthly, as I prayed, uh, kind of a bonus question for us today is, how can we find ourselves worshiping God in these two chapters? Because these chapters, if it, we've been reading through the Bible, if you've read the Bible in its entirety, it's not G-rated. These scriptures that we're going to read this morning aren't on your coffee cup. They're not the t-shirt you buy at the Christian bookstore. These aren't the things that you post on your door as a welcome mat that say, bless you, or as for me and my house, we'll, we'll worship the Lord. These things are great, but there's verses inside of Genesis chapter 34 and 35 that you would probably not put on your coffee cup. In the Bible, sometimes we, we desire a comfort and we desire everything to be rosy and great and peaceful, but the scriptures... And the Bible is not G-rated. And in fact, the passages this morning would probably be rated R. And they would suggest, they might say the following, this movie is rated R and it strongly suggests sexual content, violence, and grisly images. And in this episode, you would be left hanging at the end of chapter 35 with the death of Rachel, who died in childbirth. Reuben, the son of Jacob, sleeps with his concubine. Isaac passes away, and Esau and Jacob are standing at the grave. And that's just chapter 35, and that's just the end, but the actual gruesomeness of chapter 34. In verse 2, it begins with a rape. And it begins with this lust and obsession by Shechem to, to oh, I'm so in love with you. He's, he's defiled Dina, Dinah, and he's, he's taken what's from her. He's raped her. In the beginning of verse two, then it moves on that he wants to do, Shechem wants to do anything that he can to possess this lady. He becomes obsessed, he becomes lusting after her. You see Jacob, the father, kind of holding his peace, but really it's a passivity. He's really appeasing the moment his daughter was raped, and he's just kind of not reacting. You see two sons of his come in with, with anger in this very moment, and another deceitful plan that seems to be the pattern of this trajectory of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This deceit continues on, and they, they cleverly come up in the moment with this plan to not only murder Shechem and his father, but an entire village of males. A genocide. This is rated R. A genocide. They kill each of the males and then they enslave all the women and children that are left and all the oxen and cattle and they take them to be their own that weren't theirs to begin with. And you're kind of left at the end of chapter 34 like, wow, this was a great devotion. Like, what do I do with this? So this is a chapter that's that your, unless you're reading through the Bible your, your, your Bible app's not going to pop up, pop up with a verse of the day chapter 34, Genesis. It's just not. But how do we find edification? How do we find things that build us up in these things, in these scriptures that are really hard to read? For one, we, we have to kind of meditate. I like to use the word marinate. I like to marinate meat, marinate in that process, because you can't just read through this and be like, oh, that's this. We can write it off. We could... We could whimsically just move on and hope that chapter 35 or 36 has something hopeful or something great. We can keep reading until we find that great passage and stop. But I'm convinced that God speaks in all of the scriptures. And we just have to stop and breathe and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that mystery in the moment to us. How does this passage speak to me? What can I learn from Genesis chapter 34 and 35? So I asked the question, the first one is, like, who was I? Where have I come from? And we read these things, and it's the same in our world today. You may get a news feed. You may follow things on media or Instagram or Facebook, and things are happening in the world so fast, and people are, their whole lives are on display for us. This hasn't always been the case. But in 2018, Something happens across the world, some politician or somebody famous, and their life just unfolds on us, and we read about it, and it's, it's there for everyone to see. And the same thing is happening in Genesis chapter 34. We are reading it in hindsight with the Spirit of God. We already know what happens. We know what the end of the story says. But it's out there displayed for everyone to see. And I'm pretty sure maybe Simeon and Levi and Jacob and Shechem, they probably had good days. This happens to be the highlight reel that's not so highlight. I'm sure they did things for their family. I'm sure maybe Hamar or the, the, the captain of the village, maybe he had raised money for the poor. I don't know. For the village next door. Maybe he did good deeds and maybe he did good works, and maybe Levi was a great son a lot of times, but in this very moment, in this passage, we see the worst of the worst. And can you imagine for a moment, you or I, and I will use myself for an example, if my life was displayed in your bulletin this morning, all my bad things, not my cool highlight reel, all the tragic darkness that I've experienced, that I've done, that I've seen was displayed in your bulletin, or even worse, what if it was projected on this screen as a movie behind me? What if your deeds were projected in front of everyone to read, written in ink in your memoir? I just know that in my life I can be quick to forget who I once was, and I can be quick to to read this and dismiss this and be like, man, they are a bunch of messed up people. But if I stop and I breathe and I marinate in the scriptures, I can realize I am a messed up individual. So there's great news today that as you come in to, as we read this passage, whether you're honest with yourself or vulnerable and you realize how jacked up you are, there's great glorious news in the gospel for you. If you recognize your unawesomeness, there's a great story to be had. But maybe you came in today and you think you got it all together and that's cool. There's great news for you too, that the gospel and the cross is there. But I just don't want us to read this story and dismiss it as those people. Shame on them. They didn't have it together. Because I know if my life was displayed, I'd probably just flee out of here. I'd be shamed. Ashamed. If you saw the instant rages of anger I have with my kids on occasion. Shameful. You'd be like, why is that guy up there? But because of Jesus. And his righteousness. So I want us to just take time and I'm going to read this to us Genesis chapter 34. And like any story, any narrative, just kind of visualize it in your mind, however you picture these characters with beards or no beards or however, I'm just kidding. But just remember that this is a real story, this is real people. This really happened. God had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this whole mess of a chapter happens, and Jacob leaves this chapter kind of just in this inwardly fear that maybe this promise is going to negate him. Maybe God is going to go find another Jacob and another family and start this whole thing over again. So let's see how this unfolds. Chapter 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, and he seized her, and he lay with her, and he humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamar, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled the daughter, Dinah, but his sons were with the livestock into the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob have come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry, because he had done this outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be my wife, to be his wife." Make marriages with us. Give us giving your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves and you shall dwell with us in the land of to, be op- to be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me now find favor in your eyes and whatever you say to me, I will give it. Ask me for the greatest bride price and the gifts to all of you and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me this young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamar deceitfully, because he had defiled his sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are, and every male among you must be circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and he will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you do not listen to us, And be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamar and Hamar's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do this thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of his father's house. So Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of of the great city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in our land, trade in it for us. For behold, the land is large enough for them. And let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition that we as the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised, then we are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property be ours and their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them in that they will dwell with us. And all of you went out of the gate of the city, listening to Hamar and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, and all went out of the gate of the city. And on the third day, when they were sore, and the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the sword, and they took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. And the sons of Jacob came into the slain and plundered the city, because they had defiled their sister... And they took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and whatever was in the city of the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and all their wives and all their houses. They captured and they plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stink into the inhabitants of this land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sisters like a prostitute? pretty gruesome, pretty gritty, pretty dark, completely rated R, If that was played out in front of us. I mean, it, is, it, it takes a while to sink in. I mean, I've had a while to prepare for this passage. I've read this chapter over and over, and it's really difficult. It's really difficult to, to think, man, how in the world can I worship God? What is going on here? Genocide, rape, deceit, dysfunction, lust, obsession. So how do we see ourselves in this passage? How do I, how do I stop and, and worship? And I think for me, I just have to be really honest with myself, vulnerable, and list out the things as I read through this The rape, the lust, the obsession, the passivity, the deceitfulness, the murder, the enslavement, the fear, idolatry in chapter 35, disrespect and death and power. Like, where do I find myself in that? Again, do I dismiss it and just read on? Or do I stop and think? How am I in this? It's a sobering thought. Verse 2 Right away we see rape. One of us, somebody in here may have experienced that and been a victim of that. A beautiful creation of God, abused, assaulted, humiliated, and robbed of what was rightfully theirs, taken from them by lust and obsession and sinfulness and darkness. There's people in this room and we've been victims of that. 25 years ago, I was in high school, and one of my dear friends was raped and abused, black eyes, bruises, and I was very much like Levi and Simeon, full of rage. Who knows what I would have done? As I drove around the streets of Memphis looking for this unknown person, by the grace of God, I didn't find them. I was filled with anger and rage. I was an unbeliever. I was, I was questioning God in this dark moment of my life and for years to come. It affects us deeply. It it triggers things. It gives us baggage. It, it gives us complications as we, we move forward in life. It's difficult. It's hard. Lust and obsession. Maybe in this moment in your life, you don't find yourself struggling with that. But things tend to kind of creep and ebb and flow in our lives. And just when you think you're safe, things kind of come raging out like a tidal wave into your life. And maybe you haven't seized a man or a woman that wasn't yours. And maybe you haven't been the perpetrator. But Jesus levels the playing field in Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 through 30, and I will just read chapter 27, I mean, chapter 5, verse 27 to you. It says, You have heard that it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, For it is better for you to lose one of the members of your body than to go to hell. There was an argument in that moment of like, well, I haven't committed adultery. What is adultery? All these things were going on. But Jesus is like, look, it's about your heart issue. It's about lusting. It's about wanting something that's not yours. It's about coveting. And Jesus leveled the playing field saying that if I do that in my heart, I am just as guilty as Shechem in Genesis 34. I also think of James 1, 12 through 15. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted with his, and is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Shechem wanted something that wasn't his. He was, took it. He wanted to marry it. He wanted to make it, manipulate any situation. Dad, please make this happen. I want to marry. I am over the top for this girl. I want this girl. I have to have her. And if nothing else happens in life, I am going to get this girl. And maybe it's not a person in your life, but maybe there's something going on in your life that you want that is not holy. Something that you desire deeply and you begin to scheme and make things happen to get those things. And and they kind of begin to conceive in your heart. And all of a sudden this weird thing begins to happen in our sinful state that, that we just become obsessed. We start thinking about those things. Whatever it is in your life. And if you haven't experienced that in your Christian walk, you probably will. And you have to guard your mind I love what Eugene Peterson, just the message says of this in James 1, through 15. It says, Don't let anyone under pressure to give to you. Let me start over. Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil into no one's way. The temptation to give to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. And lust gets pregnant and has a baby. called sin. And sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. It's the message version. And you see that played out in Shechem's life here. Passivity. Appeasingness. I don't want to read too much into this, but I just, it blows my mind as a dad of daughters. that There was just this like, oh, I'm going to wait. Oh, here comes the dad of the guy. Like, there's this... That's my sinfulness, maybe. There would have been an altercation. I don't know what would have happened. But you see a really passivity and an appeasingness kind of played out in Jacob's life here. Like, I don't want to rock the boat. I got this promise. Everything's kind of going well. Oh, great. Everything's a mess. And Jesus was the appeasement to God on the cross, which doesn't mean we have to appease people. And you have to walk that line and pray through what that passivity looks like. Because sometimes we do need to hold our peace. Sometimes we do need to take a step back. But oftentimes we are so passive in not handling an unholy moment properly. A righteous anger. Maybe there's something that you should stand up for or speak into somebody's life. And we kind of just sit back because it's easier not to be in conflict. Deceitfulness. Maybe you've tricked somebody or manipulated someone in a situation or lied before. Maybe in that moment, even now, you and I can rationalize and justify our actions of tricking and manipulating someone. It's pretty, it's not wrong of you to think like, yeah, I would have been angry and probably did that too. Her brother's anger, justification of the righteousness, justification of of what they're about to do, but God is that. God takes care of those things. God is the judger. And oftentimes in my own life and in my kid's life, I think when, when trickery wants to come in my life or manipulation, that's our pretty way to say lying. Or maybe we don't even call it that. We just kind of twist the truth. And for me, as I discipline my kids, sometimes I'm reminded myself that in John chapter 8, Jesus speaks to the disciples and he's talking about Satan. He says, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies, John eight forty four. 44. So when I find that deceit wanting to creep into my life, I have to remember who my father is A father of truth. I tell my kids, like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to lie. You don't want to be part of the father of lies. Those things are in our lives. Murder. Matthew chapter 5, again, levels the playing field. You're like, man, I'm in here. I haven't murdered anybody. But it says in Matthew chapter 5, 21, and I'll read on to talk about revengeance. Vengeance. I always make up words, revengeance. Revenge. Revenge. Matthew 5, 21 says this, You have heard that it was said of those old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of that judgment. Anger and hatred in my heart is equivalent to murder and the holiness of God. So again, I don't want to read this chapter and just dismiss it. Vengeance. Same chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and offer him the other. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic and let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles and give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Love your enemies. Again, Jesus levels the playing field. Enslavement happens after that in chapter 35. They take what's not theirs. I, stop and think about this. Your dad was just murdered by two guys or maybe a couple other guys helping him. And now you're their property? What does that breed, what does that create? Oh, I was married to this guy and you just killed him and now I'm yours? And this wasn't even Shechem. This was people living in the city. Shechem just shows back up with this clever idea. Him and Hamar are done. And he's like, hey, I want everybody in this room, all the males in this room. you got to go circumcise yourself. you got to go follow this. And they don't even love this woman. They don't know Dinah. They have no passion for her. I'd be like, what? No, man. I'm moving to the next city. Like, for... Like they just follow suit and all of a sudden they're dead. Men, sons of somebody, daughters, not daughters of somebody, but sons and brothers of somebody wiped out. And I get to the end of chapter 34 and I just like cry out to Jesus when I stop and I'm vulnerable and I see myself and all the deception and the sinfulness of my own evil heart and I can find a place to worship because I say praise God that this promised faithful seed from Abraham came and through the cross of Jesus Christ his blood was shed that I could be forgiven that I can be redeemed that there is a pathway for the murderer There is a pathway for the rapist. There is a pathway for the victims to be healed in the cross of Jesus. And sometimes I think as believers, the older I get, I can forget who I was before the age of 24. I can write things off. I can be in discipleship moments. I can be sitting down one-on-one and be like, what is wrong with that guy? but I was that person, or just not even somebody trying to walk in the faith, people that I'm in community with, my side of the city, or that I play soccer with, and just the dysfunction and the chaos that is going on in their lives. I don't need to forget who I once was because I was them, and now I'm redeemed, and I'm a new creation, and I have this hope inside of me that I can share with them because if you don't find yourself in chapter 34, you might become a little judgmental and a little bit pious. You might forget that Jesus came for the sick and not just the well. And I pray that my kids have a different life than I did before the age of 24. But the reality is, Thousands and tens of thousands of people outside these doors are dealing with these very conflicts this morning without the hope of Jesus Christ. And you and I are the vessels that contain that hope. And I can find myself, if I marinate, if I stay there long enough that this fire begins to swell up inside of me, and I begin to want to go and share this great news of the gospel of Jesus, this promised seed of Abraham, Jesus, this faithful promise. But oh, how I forget and I'm distracted. I forget who I am in Christ Jesus. From day to day, from hour to hour, I often forget the promise and what He has called me to be. And we read these scriptures in chapter 35, and we don't have time to go reread it fully. But in the beginning of chapter 35, so here Jacob is, he's fearing for his life, he's fearing for his family, he's fearing that these cities around him, who understandably should probably come and kill this family that did genocide to a town, maybe a justifiable retaliation in our logical mind outside of Jesus, he rightfully fears for himself and his family. And God speaks to him as he speaks to us. In 2018, he says, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar. And God is calling him back to this place where he once feared his brother. God in his mercy is gently reminding him who he is. And we read further down, and God is gently reminding him that he has a new name, Israel. He's a new creation. He's forgotten that from a few chapters back the timeline, the time spans. He had already been told that he was Israel. He had been told about these promises. He had seen the life of Abraham. He would seen the life of his father, Isaac. He had seen God show up time and time again, but yet he feared and he forgot who he was and who he was called to be, who he was summoned. A lot of times you see this go and arise, like God is calling us. We say that word, calling, but the reality is we're being summoned as though you were in the office of your school and over the loudspeaker comes your name, so-and-so, come forward to the principal's office, you really don't have a choice. I guess you could flee. I guess you could run out of the school, grab your car, and drive off. But the reality is the principal's office is summoning you. You're being summoned by your mom and dad. You're being summoned by somebody. You're being summoned by the Father, the creator of this world. Arise and go. And I have a plan, and I have a purpose for you. And he rises, and he goes, and and even as I read this, and even after I digested 34, I get to 35 and they're like burying the idols by the tree and I'm like, what? But how quick am I to judge again? And it was almost like instantly the Lord's like, yeah, you do that. You don't destroy your idols, Jeremy. You often bury them and come back to them when time is good. Idolatry is very real in our lives. Maybe it's not things of stone or wood sitting around your house, but maybe they're made of plasma screens. Things in our lives we do idolize. And I, and maybe you if you're honest enough, take those idols and those things that consume us, that take us away from Jesus, and we're in a really hard moment. We're scared to death. We need the Lord's provision. We need the Lord's protection. And so we go and we bury those idols just for a little while. And we say they're gone for good, maybe. Maybe we should have burnt them. But we go on, and God does some kind of work in our lives, and we start feeling good again, and maybe you kind of go back out and you undig it. Maybe you don't bring it back home, and you kind of just put it by the tree. It's by the terebinth tree. And, but eventually you bring that idol back to your house. And you forget that God has freed you from those things. So can I say that? Let's not be quick to write this off that we are so far removed. But I was blown away that God verbally spoke to him. And then they just bury their idols. But then I was shocked as the Lord reminds me that I bury my idols often too. But what's so glorious, I guess, this chapter doesn't end with like, if this was an episode, it doesn't end like great. It's more like a cliffhanger between the death and the promise and Reuben sleeping with his dad's concubine, it just it ends in a mess. But in the middle of that, I guess, if we were to combine these two chapters and look for like the hope and the climax, it's just that God mercifully reminds Jacob that he is Israel. Verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Aram, I'm just Petarim, just kidding. I can't say that. And blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called him his name of Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply the same promise that was to his granddad, Abraham. Nations and companies and nations shall come from you and the king shall come from you and the body and the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you and I will give you the land to your offspring. Then God went up from him in that place where he had spoken with him and Jacob set up a pillar and the place that he had spoken with God, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering in, in it and poured it out on it. So Jacob called this name the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. He was reminded and I guess just the kind of bookend This summer series. In Genesis 17, we saw the same promise to his granddad, Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, chapter 17, verse 1. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I make I may make the covenant between you, me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face. And God just said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of the multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, renamed. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and the king shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, after, you, after that throughout their generations for everlasting covenant to God, to you, and to your offsprings after you. And I will give to you and to your offsprings after you the land that you are sojourning in, all the land of Canaan and everlasting possessions, and I will be their God. I love it. It's just this merciful, gentle reminder. God is faithful to himself. Like we are called, there is go, there are arise, there, there's actions within our lives that we must pursue and do, but God is faithful. His plan is going to happen. God is faithful to himself, and despite the mess in your life, God has a plan and a purpose, and he's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You and I, once, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about we walked around like the, with the father, the prince of the power of this earth. We're talking about Satan, and we, we followed our own desires, and we followed our own lust. But by the grace of God, even while we were still sinners, he called us out. And my name is Jeremy, and I'm still Jeremy, even though I'm a believer now. But I just know that in God, I'm a new creation. I don't know... Maybe he's got a different name for me. But I know he's got a different purpose and a plan, a different trajectory for me. But I forget who I am sometimes in Christ Jesus. I struggle to believe that. I struggle to, to wrestle with the truth that I'm a child of God, that I'm a new creation. That I'm an ambassador to the throne. I'm, a, as we sang, a son and a daughter to God. I'm a citizen of the heavens. God sees me as righteous and beautiful, even though I feel filthy. And God has something for me. And I need to pursue Him in faith, even though I can't see. And so you read these narratives, sometimes we read it in hindsight and we know what's happening and we forget how scary that moment may have been, how chaotic that moment may have been. But I find great hope that the gospel and the Bible is explicit, that it's not G-rated because my life has not been G-rated, your life hasn't been G-rated, it's not going to be G-rated. I find great hope and comfort and worship in the fact that this was a hot mess and I'm a hot mess. But Jesus, but Jesus redeemed me, set me free from the bondage of my sin, set me free from the slavery, of the sin of my heart, of murder, of lust, of obsession and coveting. But this chapter doesn't end just in perfectness. In our life, may not end in perfectness this week, and it probably won't. But we have to see that God was faithful, and God is faithful. And you and I need to hold to those promises of who God is. There's so many promises in the Bible. I had some written out, but we're out of time. But for you and I to... Read those ourselves and to dig deep into the scriptures, whatever you're struggling with. If you're struggling for fear, find those scriptures that are God's promises on his protection, his provision. If you're struggling in identity, find those promises on who you are. Begin to dig in the scriptures and begin to hold on to those faithful promises because God is so good and he is so merciful. And I am so grateful that he redeemed all people Those that are well and those that are sick. He's there for the victims, and as Davey prayed earlier, he's there for the persecutors. He's there for the captains of the armies that are committing genocide in nations, in dark jungles, and places. God is not beyond their reach. He's not beyond your reach of a repentant heart. But we must come before Christ and plead for forgiveness. God is radically committed to God and his faithfulness. And if we die to ourselves and if we die with Jesus through faith and endure through faith, God is faithful to fulfill his promises in you today. Let's pray.